The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 5. That's on page 1052. It is widely reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is living with his father's wife. And you are inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. For though I am absent in body but present in spirit, I have already decided about the one who has done this thing as though I were present. When you are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus, with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may be a new batch. You are indeed unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with old yeast, or with yeast of the malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean the immoral people of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer who is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside? But God judges outsiders. Put away the evil person from among yourselves. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Dan, if I haven't met you before. Uh, It'd be great if you can keep that passage open in 1 Corinthians. uh, Carry on our series. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get into it. Father, we do pray, please, that you would help us to humble ourselves before your word. Uh, Father, please teach us as we spend this time uh, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what did you think of that passage? It's a little bit, it's a little bit edgy, isn't it? I feel like I don't quite, it's kind of, it's hard to take in in two directions. It's kind of ugly in both ways. On on the one hand, you've got this guy doing something that not even the pagans around the place would even tolerate. Uh, He's, what it says in verse one there, living, what is it? Uh, I've I've lost the page. He's living with his father's wife. That's a lovely euphemism. Doesn't it? it sounds like maybe he's moved in with his stepmom to save on rent or something. No, 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 no. Let, let's be very clear. This is a, a committed sexual relationship that's going on with his stepmom. And not even the pagans would tolerate that kind of thing. This is terrible. Um, and yet the church, the church, how do they respond when they hear about it? Verse 2, they're, they're proud. They're proud. You see, the church in Corinth seems to have this little idea about freedom, which is, it's there in chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. We're free. Jesus died to forgive us, so we're free. We can just do whatever we want. They're proud of this guy. He's he's just expressing his freedom. Good on you, mate. You're you're free. Just just go for it. And we're proud of ourselves because we're not a judgmental people. We we foster freedom. Well, this strange idea of freedom, don't they? I think it's not too dissimilar to our world today. This idea that um, you know we've got passions and, and desires and appetites, and freedom is just being able to seek them, just to be able to satisfy them. And if anyone gets in the way of you satisfying those desires and appetites, that they're blocking your freedom, they're blocking your expression of your authentic self. This is the idea of freedom that Paul seems to come across in uh, in Corinth. 
So that's on the one hand, as we read. We read this dodgy church, this dodgy character. But then on the other side, we've got Paul. How does he respond? See verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2. You're inflated with pride instead of filled with grief so that he who has committed this act might be removed from your congregation. That's what he wants. He wants to kick him out of church. It's a bit rough, isn't it? And read on, verse 3. For though I am absent in body, but present in spirit, he's not even there. I've already decided, literally judged, about the one who has done this thing as though I was present. He's already made a judgment. And he says, you guys should do the same. Reading on verse 4, when you're assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus, these are kind of one thing, not three different things, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Booyah! That's kind of, that's strong stuff, right? How do you find that? He goes on in verses 9 to 11 to broaden this right out to all sorts of Christians. Anyone who calls themselves a believer, but is living in some kind of sin, unrepentant, continual sin, We ought to judge. Not meaning we should kind of stand up here and do this kind of thing, but we ought to make a decision, make a judgment, and then talk about it. I don't know how you find that. That, I mean, there's a very unpopular topic, and not just the sleeping with your stepmom thing. Judgment. It's a very unpopular topic. Some of you might be thinking, it doesn't sound like grace. You know, I thought I came to know God through grace. It's a message of grace in the church. And this doesn't sound like it. In fact, one of the Bible study groups I heard during the week were were reading this passage, and they said, this isn't Christian. Problem is, it's in the Bible. (laughs) It kind of is Christian. Um, So what are we going to do with it? Well, we're going to take a closer look. Um, And we're going to see in here that Paul actually wants us. He wants... wants us to think about ourselves the right way. He wants to help the Corinthian Christians and us to think of ourselves the right way. He wants us to see ourselves as free people, set free for holiness. Not the kind of freedom our world talks about, but, but freedom to know God and follow him, to be who we were always meant to be. This is Paul's big goal for us. And as we see that, we'll, we'll actually see where judgment kind of fits in with that. Um, This is what Paul's been doing for the whole letter. He basically wants to um, realign people's identity, their understanding of their own identity. He wants them to see themselves as holy people belonging to Jesus. With God in their midst, God is in their camp, in their church. They are holy. And so he's applying it to unity in chapters 1 to 4. We'll talk about sexuality chapter 5 to 7. And then from 8 to 14 is kind of worship and idolatry sort of stuff. But all about our, our self-understanding. So let's hit this, this one here, uh, understanding who we are. Um, the middle of this chapter is verses 6 to 8. Uh, it's very practical, the first part, quite practical in the second half. Right there in the middle it is this little theological nugget, verses 6 to 8. And in the middle of that nugget is Jesus, <laughs> believe it or not. Verse 7, second half of verse 7, actually. Look at that with me. You are indeed unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Paul wants the Corinthian Christians and us to understand ourselves through this story, the Passover story from three and a half thousand years ago. Um, You probably remember the story, um, but I will recap it a little bit quickly. 
Um, Israel is in slavery in Egypt. Um, they're not enjoying themselves. God decides he's going to uh, put, into, put into action Operation Passover. He's going to rescue his people. And he says to them all, uh, kill a lamb and have it for dinner and have some flat bread with it. No yeast. Um, and they do, and he sets them free, and it's wonderful. He brings them to himself out of slavery to be his own people. He loves them. He treasures them. And he teaches them to flourish as human beings. And he says, you need to remember this, guys. You need to remember you've been set free. Um, and so he says, every year have a little anniversary Passover party um, where you kind of you kill the lamb again, have a lamb for dinner, have some flatbread. Um, you might have picked up in Gemma's reading, he's really insistent on this flatbread thing. Do you know that? No yeast. No yeast. Not even for seven days before your Passover party. No yeast. Um, but we, I don't know if you've used yeast recently. You know, the little foil packages of dried granulated yeast. Yeah. So God's saying, chuck them all out. Take them out of the freezer. Pop them all. No, no. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about leaven. Has anyone cooked, used leaven making bread before? It kind of, it kind of works like this, right? You've got your, your bunch of bread. You're ready to put it in the oven. You take a little hunk off it. It's got yeast in it. And you put it on the side. That's leaven. And then you cook your bread, you eat your bread, you get some more flour and water and you mix it all up and you add your leaven into it and you mix it all up and the yeast from the leaven goes through the rest of the dough. And then you take a little hunk off, it's got salt yeast in it, you put it over here, you cook your bread and on you go. And this leaven can go on and on and on. I heard of one this week, 150 years old. It just goes on and on. It's a living organism. Um, And what God says is no carrying on clean break. Get rid of all the yeast, all the yeast from last week, from yesterday, from all of history. Get rid of it. We're starting again. At Passover, we started again. You were slaves. Get rid of all of that that's behind. We're starting again afresh. You're free people now. Get rid of what was behind. Get rid of the past. We're starting afresh. You're free. That's what the marker was. That was what they remembered at Passover. Well, friends, that Passover 3,500 years ago, that's, that's what we've just been talking about. That's all just a picture. It's a framework for us to understand ourselves. So Paul goes on and, and, and reminds us that actually this, this is true of us. We have our Passover. Verse 7, Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. You see, the real slavery, friends, the real slavery isn't back then in Egypt. There's a lot of people experiencing slavery in our, in our world today, but the big picture slavery that we're, we all sit under is slavery to sin. You've probably heard that a hundred times and you think, yeah, yeah, slavery to sin. I, I, I'm convinced again this week that this is the real problem, that we can't say no to our sinful desires. We have sinful inclinations and appetites and desires and we just keep saying yes to them, which is exactly what the world calls freedom, strangely. But sin is actually slavery. I want to tell you very quickly about Worry and Amanda. Um, Worry and Amanda lived in complete freedom. I met them earlier this year. Complete freedom in the world sense. They did whatever they wanted to do. They wanted to sleep together. They slept together. They wanted to get high. They got high. They wanted to, they wanted to go and buy stuff. They'd go and buy stuff. They just did. They lived in complete freedom. They had uh, three kids unintentionally, but, you know, that was all right. They kept on doing the things they wanted to do, spending the money they wanted to spend, getting high, getting their own way, ignoring the kids, um, neglecting the kids, neglecting their health, 
but going on and on and on. And they, they, this, their life was absolutely terrible. They ended up living in squalor with neglected kids. Their life was a living hell. And I, when I met them, they said to me, Dan, sin is slavery. Make no mistake, sin is slavery. And friends, I, I think we need to realize that we're all a bit like Worry and Amanda. Our world is a bit like that. We just kind of cover it up with a little bit of self-control and a little bit more cash and class. But really, if we just follow our desires and appetites, we are slaves to sin. Friends, I just, I just want to ask at this point, is that you? Are, are you slaves to sin? There's good news, and that is the Passover. The second Passover has happened. Jesus has been our Passover lamb, sacrificed so that we might be set free. Jesus died to take our sin upon himself, take it all away. No more penalty for sin. He died to release us from the power of sin. He died so that we might leave slavery, just like Israel left Egypt, and come to God and be his people. To be the full humans that he always made us to be. To live for him and love him. We have a freedom. And, and, and here's actually, here's finally, finally, we get to the main point here. Finally, we get back to the passage. This is, this is what Paul wants, to get at, wants us to get at. And that is, we now observe the feast. Our whole life is now a celebration, a Passover party. We're always celebrating our freedom. And how do we do it? How do we celebrate the Passover? Well, look with me at verses 7 and 8. He says, clean out the old yeast. All that stuff that belonged to your slavery under sin, clean it out. No more clean cut so that you may be a new batch. You are indeed unleavened. It's not like you need to get rid of all of your sin so that you can become pure for Jesus. No, no, you're already unleavened. Why? For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed for us. So we've been set free from our sin. Therefore, let us observe the feast, not with the old yeast or with the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's saying, make a clean break. Just like God said, get rid of the yeast. Get rid of what belonged to slavery from the past. He's saying it to us as well. Get rid of it. Why? It doesn't suit you anymore. You're a free, holy people. Sin doesn't fit for you anymore. It's inappropriate. Especially at the Passover party. I mean, this is our lives are meant to be a celebration that we're set free from sin. How, how do we celebrate it? By sinning? That's totally inappropriate. It's like, like my friends, Worry and Amanda. They get to a year of being you know, drug-free. How will we celebrate our anniversary of that? Let's get high. How about celebrating your wedding anniversary by starting an affair? Or, or you know, celebrating the anniversary of being released from prison by checking yourself in for a week or so. It's, it's just totally inappropriate. We've been rescued from sin. Where I live... Free. So friends, I want to ask you, are you free? You're trusting in Jesus if you found freedom in him. I hope so. I really, I really hope so. I know many of us have. We know freedom. We know that we are holy people. I'm going to ask, 
How do you celebrate the freedom? Are you celebrating your freedom from sin by making peace with sin? Is there any chance that's happening in our church, that we're making peace with sin? Verse 11 gives us a whole list of different ways that we might, uh, we might be caught in sin, ways that we might uh, make peace with sin and settle down with it. Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is actually a form of slavery. We get enslaved to it. Greed, idolatry, verbal abuse, drunkenness, swindlers. This must not be us. This must, be, must not be us because we are the free, holy people of God. Some of you, um, some of you are really celebrating, celebrating our freedom by really battling with sin, which is a wonderful thing. Some of you are saying, "Dan, I'm, you know, I, you know like I'm, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm, I'm trying. Like I fight. I feel like a failure so often, but I fight. Good on you. <laughs> Keep the fight up. You've been set free to fight for holiness." It will continue to be a struggle until Jesus returns. The key, the key for now, friends, is to remember who we are. Remember, we are an unleavened loaf. We are free. No sin can take us down. We are free to battle for holiness. Well, I think that's the kind of the core of this chapter. I think, I think once we've got our heads around that a little bit, in my mind, at least, the rest of it sort of makes a little bit more sense. It still might be hard to take, but it makes a bit more sense. Verse 12 and 13, we don't judge those outside of God's people because they're not the free, holy people of God. It wouldn't make any sense. So when you do that, friends, when you tut-tut the world, or when I tut-tut the world, that's ridiculous. Expecting slaves to act like they're free. Egyptians to act like they're not Egyptian, if you will. And yet we are called to judge those inside the church, those who claim to be believers. Um, two reasons for that. One, as we've said, we're the free, holy people of God collectively. We are holy. That is the holy God, holy, holy, holy. He dwells among us. He calls us to be holy. And verse 6, a little yeast permeates the whole batch of dough. If you ever made bread, you know that. You put in a tiny bit of yeast and it goes through the whole thing, bubbles through everything. That happens when we don't address sin in our church. It bubbles up. And the second reason we want to um, make judgments in our church is for the sake of individuals. We really have to believe sin is slavery. It's actually not good. So we actually make judgments on, upon each other for the sake of the freedom of each other. When I say make a judgment, I don't mean we go, hey, you're stupid, you're a sinner, get out of here. I mean we make a, a decision. That's actually the way the Holmans translated the word judge. They've said decision, which is helpful. That's there in verse 2, sorry, 3. Um, we kind of, if we see someone in unrepentant sin, we don't just turn a blind eye. We actually look at it and go, well, actually, that's wrong. That's, that's not freedom they're living in. They're living like they're a slave to sin. And we actually try to do something about it. We do something about it because, verse 2, it's a, it grieves us that they're not living in freedom. As many people think Paul's some sort of psycho, angry, puritanical judge. No, he's grieved by this. We act, we judge, we talk about sin because, well, verse 5, there's a, there's a purpose to it. See verse 5 there? 
turn that one, this is talking about this dodgy dude, turn that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. See the purpose? It's a positive purpose. So that his spirit might be saved. 2 Corinthians, we know this guy was saved. He repented. He turned back. It's good. This is why we bring these things up, friends. So that other people, our brothers and sisters, might know freedom. Well, friends, the big problem in Corinth is that they make judgments when they shouldn't. About the world and about their leaders, but they don't make judgments when they ought to. This is an important thing. We are called to be the free, holy people of God. We need to help each other with that. We need to help each other live free. Um, I, I don't know if you're living free or not. I hope you are. I hope you know the freedom of the Lord Jesus. Um, I want to give you just a moment to think on that, whether you are living in freedom or if you're living as a slave to sin. And then we're actually going to say a prayer of confession all together. Because we all need to confess sin. We all need to confess. Take a moment and then we will pray together.